When Jesus invites you to do the impossible, where do you look? Where do you look when Jesus says, you give him something to eat? I mean, think about the crowds. You can understand why the disciples would have said, you know, Jesus, get them out of here. Now, they had, just a couple chapters earlier, they'd been pretty busy doing some of the public ministry with Jesus. In fact, they went out to this region of Bethsaida because it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. I mean, Bethsaida is about as far as from Jerusalem, which was kind of like the, the center of the universe in those days, right? It could be as far from there as possible. It's, it's a remote place, as the disciples said. However, people heard that Jesus was there, and as much as they wanted to take a little bit of time, a little R&R, 5,000 plus people show up to this kind of remote area, and Jesus does his Jesus thing. He talks and teaches and he heals those who needed healing. And the disciples were trying to, you know, kind of move this crowd along. Okay, this is enough for the day. We're, really, we're ready to punch out now. Why don't you send them out of here? Because look, they're going to get hungry and nobody likes it when everybody's hangry. You know, combination of hungry and angry. We don't want to deal with the crowds that are hangry. So uh, send them away. And Jesus says, no, you give them some meat. That's impossible, right? Where do you look when Jesus invites you to do the impossible? Now, what did the disciples do? They looked among themselves. They looked within. Now, do you think they really went out into the crowd and kind of did a survey or started to collect what was, you know, hey, who brought lunch today? Let's try and figure this out. It seems like very quick, they just kind of did a quick poll among themselves. And this is where they offer up, in Luke's version, the five loaves and the two fish. This is where we get this from. They looked at what they brought, what they had. Hey, this is, this is all that we have. So many times when we feel Jesus calling us or inviting us to do what we would see as impossible, we're going to look inside as well and see what we don't have. We're going to look at our resources, and guess what? They're not going to be enough. Our strength will fail us. It will not be enough. I mean, do you really think, though, that God is just going to call us to do something that we can do in our own strength? Or does God specialize in the impossible? Now, Scripture writer would tell us that nothing is impossible for God. We're the ones who put the impossibility on things. We see the crowd. We see the task. It's too much, especially when we look at what we have. I loved in our call to worship today, the psalmist, when he says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? You see, when we're going to begin this task of solving the impossible, the truth is, you really just need to begin. You just need to begin to begin to solve the impossible. Because we could see the 5,000, we can see the challenge, and we wonder where our help is going to come from. We wonder how we're ever going to get there or accomplish this task. Where will our help come from? You see, that psalm comes from a collection of songs or psalms called the Songs of Ascent. These were the psalms that pilgrims would read and sing while they would literally make their way up to Jerusalem for a pilgrimage. Now, Jerusalem, as Jesus said, is a city on a hill. And it begins in Psalm 120, and the psalmist says, I'm kind of discontent with my life right now, and I want to begin a journey. Isn't that a great place to start 
a journey song. If you're going to create like a, a road trip playlist, at the beginning of this road trip playlist is, I'm, not, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm not content where I am and I want to go somewhere else. Now, this very next one is Psalm 121. And it says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where am I going to find my help? Now, remember, I love the powerful plural form of that word hill or mountain. Because it's a reminder that sometimes when we try to solve the impossible, when we're trying to get to Jerusalem or we're trying to feed this big crowd in front of us, we can become distracted along the way. And our eyes turn and shift to all the things that would pull us away from getting to our destination or solving that problem. And the psalmist basically says this, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So many times when we're on a journey or we're trying to solve the impossible, even after we begin, which can be hard enough, we're going to get distracted. We're going to get distracted along the way. We're going to see all the other hills that would just remind us of really how far along this journey is or how difficult this task is. I wonder if the disciples looked out over the crowd that day and they just couldn't, like, see the end of the people. There's just there's so many people here. And you want us to give them something to eat. Yeah, you, you give them some to eat. You, you know, look, this is what we have. You bring your lunch, and what you got? What you got? We got five loaves. We've got two fish. It's ridiculous, Jesus. You know, and being from New Jersey, I interpret this next part of their response to Jesus in a very Jersey-type way. So I bet if you went to church and they read the scripture or some other part of the country, they wouldn't have it as much. But here's how I hear them say this. You know, unless you want us to go buy food for everybody. I mean, it sounds so sarcastic. It sounds like just so tongue-in-cheek or so ridiculous, you know, that word, unless. You know, we only have five loaves and two fish. I mean, unless you want us to go buy food for everybody. And I wonder if Jesus is like, there it is. There it is, guys. That's all I need. That weird word, unless. You see, it changed their perspective for just a moment. And maybe that's all that Jesus needs. Because when he invites us to do the impossible, where do we look? We're going to look at our resources, look at our strength, and guess what? It's not going to be enough unless we look someplace else or think about something in a different way. I've been sharing in our devotionals this week is that one of the things I found in our relationship with God is that God cares about our heart, and God does the transformation in our heart. It's, we're supposed to love the Lord our God with our heart. Right, so there's a lot of heart language whenever we're talking with our relationship with God. I shared this week about how I think God wants to transform our mind as well. Because sometimes we can think with our heart, we can also think with our mind. Especially when we look at an impossible task. That which God might be calling us to do, that we just can't get done in our own strength or with our own resources. It's impossible. We do the math in our head, we figure it out, and that's why the Apostle Paul talks about transformation being the transformation of the mind. I think in order to think differently, we have to see differently. You ever notice you're going to find what you're looking for. Sometimes we look only to see what we want to see. 
to discover what we want to know, which is already there in front of us. But what happens is when you start to think or see differently, even like that little word unless, it begins to change this thing called perspective. And I wonder if that's when Jesus steps in in the midst of these things. If we could just offer a moment of our minds or hearts to say, is there a different way to think about this? Now, when I work with anybody in conflict resolution, most of the time conflict, whether it's you know, within marriages, relationships, whatever it be, is that sometimes we get stuck in a two-option model, a two-option mentality. Where are we going to go for Thanksgiving this year? Oh, well, we got to go to my family. No, I'm tired of your family. I want to go to my family. And those, those are the two options. And, and we just get so you know, dug in into our idea or our perspective or our way of looking at something that we start to battle the person that doesn't agree with us or look at a different perspective than us. And one of the things you know, I say is there's more than two options on this. There's more than just your option. There's more than two. I said, so let's write down some. In fact, let's write down, I have them write down 10 options. We're going to write down 10 options of what you can do for Thanksgiving this year. And so, of course, they write, go to my family. The other person write, go to my family. Now, when you have to write down 10, because I won't let them leave the room until they write down 10, you have to change your perspective, even if it is ridiculous. You could say, well, you could stay at your home and not go to either family. That may sound ridiculous for some people, but you're right. So then you start writing it down. You could not, you could not do turkey this year. You could just go to, a, you'd go to McDonald's for Thanksgiving. It's an option. Write it down. Well, that's ridiculous. We, it's about as ridiculous as trying to you know, figure out how to go buy food for 5,000 people. But it shifts their perspective off of themselves. And I wonder if in that moment shift, in that one word, unless, even though it might have been tongue-in-cheek or sarcastic, is that enough? Is that enough for Jesus to take just a moment for us to say, am I willing to think differently about this? Can I see this in a different way? And Jesus says, let's do this. I mean, think about it, though. When he invited the disciples to give the crowd something to eat, do you think he's like, all right, peace out, see you later, I'm taking a break? So many times we feel like when Jesus invites us to solve the impossible, we look at what we don't have and the resources that we lack, and we forget that he's with us. We forget that he's with us the whole time. And fear, right, because sometimes we fear the impossible. This big thing that we feel like God's calling us to do or this challenge that's in front of us, this hill that we feel like we just got to climb. We fear it. You know, I'm at the stage of my life where my children are small. You know, I got young kids, and we went to the swim club this summer. You know, the first day when we walked into that swim, swim club there in Molokai Hill, they have a high dive. I thought to myself, oh, no. Because I knew that they're going to want to go on that thing. Uh, I don't think I'm scared of heights because I go on airplanes, and that's fine, and that's pretty high up. I have a fear of falling from heights. So, so immediately, we go over the, the diving board section and say, why don't we just stick with the low board for a little while? Go ahead, guys, we're good to go. And he says, no, we want to go on that one. 
you're going to go, right? Um, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. You go first, Dad. Uh-huh. Now, as a parent, I want my children to be able to live into the danger, to live into my little tiny youngest child. It'd be impossible for her to climb all the way up there and then go off that. There's no way she would ever do it unless I show her. And so I remember <laughs> climbing up the high dive. They're saying, just don't look down, don't look down, don't look down, don't look down, and getting on the board and walking to the board. You love your children, you love your children, you love your children, and then jumping off. I was scared, but I knew I had to go. And I get off, and I'm, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I get out of the pool. They immediately go right up, over and over and over. And then one of these days, you know, I look over and my son says, hey, dad, watch me. I say, oh, yeah, 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 good, you're on the high dive. He does a flip off the high dive. There's sometimes we just need to remember that he's with us, isn't he? When he calls us to do something that is beyond our strength or beyond our resources, this isn't just, I'm going to throw you out there. I'm going to show you. I'm going to be with you. And can you have enough confidence in me that I'm with you to be able to walk and to do this? Now, here's what I, I love about this story as well. The disciples are the one that go and actually distribute it out to the crowd. And there's a part of me that the crowd, right, some people in the crowd, they might not have been able to see all the way up to the front to Jesus doing his thing. All they see is a disciple coming around with a basket, and there's bread in it. And then there's so much bread that they had leftovers. We're going to talk about that another week, but it's going to shift our perspective from looking at what we don't have to looking from a new perspective, from scarcity to abundance. They, Jesus invites them to do the impossible. And in a moment of perspective shift, Jesus engages with them again to do the impossible, to involve them in the impossible. Now, at the end of the day, were they the ones that took the bread and multiplied it with the fish? Were they the ones that did that miracle? No, God did them. Jesus, right? God, did, God does the miracles. Jesus does the stuff. But when he says, you give them something to eat, what does that mean for us? Does it mean we have to do it all in our own strength? Or does our perspective shift to a God that does it? Do you remember what Jesus did? Here's what's interesting. They looked at what they did not have. We've got five loaves. We've got two fish. Now, when Jesus took the bread, where did he look? Scripture reminds us, is what we read today, that he looked up to heaven, doesn't he? Where do we look when God involves us to solve the impossible? We look at what we don't have. And did you ever notice that most of the time when we have communion, do I, do, I break the bread do I break the bread like this? Shh, don't look. I'm breaking the bread. Most priests or pastors you've seen, what do they do? They do this. They it's like muscle memory. I don't know if they teach it to us at seminary or not, but most time we lift it up. We look, we shift, we change our perspective. Did you ever see someone like standing at a park just like looking at a tree? 
And they, if they stay there long enough, you ever notice people will walk by? Just try this. Try this the next time you're doing it. Just stand there and look at something for a while. And most people will be like, what are you, what are you looking at? What are you, is there something there I'm not seeing? When you change perspective, I wonder when Jesus looks up to heaven, as he takes the bread and he breaks it, where did the eyes of the disciples go? They followed what Jesus was doing. Their perspective was open just for a moment with that word, unless, unless we, we do something ridiculous. Okay, that's fine. Let's do something ridiculous. Let's do something as ridiculous as looking not to ourselves, but to heaven. Something as ridiculous as blessing that which is not here yet. Most of the time when we bless, it's for the things that are in front of us. Lord, thank you for this food which is in front of us. What Jesus does here in the feeding of the multitudes is he does a blessing of hope. I'm going to bless and give thanks for that which is not even here. That's a shift of perspective. And when he changes his eyes, we track along with him. So when Jesus invites you to solve the impossible, where do you look? Can you not just keep looking here? at what you don't have, or will your eyes look to heaven to see what God can do in the impossible? For nothing is impossible with God.